We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Having just read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, we're going we're gonna to talk about you know, how, how do we navigate in, this, in, in the time that we live in. So if you look back to chapter 4, what you find is Paul reminds us uh, that God gives us a new temple, a new building, so that we can be confident in Him, so that we can live by faith, not by sight, and to be able to walk in the Lord in the way that's pleasing to Him. That's the reason we have, we're a new temple, is so we can do these things. And Paul has that discussion in the previous chapter. And this causes us to try and persuade others uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said. When we have this change in our temple, and when we get a new temple, those that, that causes us to want to tell others about Jesus Christ. You know, I remember that when I first came into the church. You, you almost can't help yourself. You're looking for somebody. You can't wait to have breaks at work and at lunch at work. And, and, uh, and the people, I lived in an apartment at the time. You want to go around to all, they put knock on the door. Hey, let me tell you something. It's a natural thing that happens. And then he discusses the answers of how we can face the challenge of changing times. And this is kind of what we just read that we'll talk about it. So first, uh, the in the challenges that we have in these changing times, we have to develop a commitment to reconciliation. If you re recall, as we read through there, he really discusses being reconciled and the, the ministry of reconciliation and constantly talking about reconciliation. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Have you given yourself a room to change? In your life, do you give yourself room to change? You don't have to answer it. Just answer it to yourself. <clears throat> a man bought a radio. He takes it home. He puts it on top of his refrigerator. He plugs it in. He tunes it in to the Grand Ole Opry. Y'all know what that is? Some of you are too young. The Grand Ole Opry. Then he pulls all the knobs off the radio. So he had already tuned in to all he was ever going to hear or expect. There are all kind of stations but he tuned in to one thing, and that's all he was ever going to tune in. He wasn't changing. He wasn't changing. He wasn't going to listen to anything else. And so a lot of times we get that way. Now, we don't change when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. But there is some change that we have to adapt into, and, and there's a way to do it and do it in, in, in the way that God leads us to. Uh, otherwise, we get left behind. We get left behind. We have to recognize that God desires to change people first. Recognize this. God has a desire to change people. In our society today, it looks like nobody wants to be changed. They want to keep living their crazy lives like I was always, like some of you live. Oh, well, we all did at one point in time, whether we grew up in the church or not. We lived a life outside of God. That's a crazy life. It's a crazy life. <clears throat> Why would you live outside of God? Because if you do, that's, that's insane. Uh, some should no longer view people from, from, from this, and, and, and that's what we read when we began in verse 16. Understand this. We should not view, because we've been changed and reconciled, we should not view those outside of the church as people who don't want to be changed and don't want to be reconciled. But oftentimes when we look at what we call sinners, we look at them as people who don't want to be changed and don't want to be. Now, people are that way. But understand, God wants to change them and reconcile them, so we can't view them in any other way than God. If we do, then we're outside of the principle of God. Does that make sense? Good. Okay. <clears throat> the Greek word for reconciliation means to change mutually. 
to change. You're, if, if I'm reconciling here uh, with my brother here, we're going to change. That means to together we're going to change. So what does God have to change? If, if I'm going to be reconciled, what does God have to change? Because he did it. There was a point in time that because, because God's word said, if you transgressed, you were punished and you die. Now, how has God changed? We read it. He became, to him, that he became sin. So, to, in order to reconcile us, he became what we were and took on our sin. And so, that, that's the change that God did. No longer, because of grace, no longer are we to be punished for sin if we're in God. If we're reconciled to him, he takes away the punishment of sin in our life. This is tremendous. The problem is we don't see sinners that way. God does. God's okay. I'm, I want to give them a chance to come into my kingdom. But a lot of times in church, <clears throat> when you pass somebody that's, you know, they're, they're, I need $20 for food, but you know what they're going to do with it. When you pass by there, what's your thought? I mean, you don't say it out loud. <laughs> but what's your thought? A lot of times we look at them like, you know, yeah, they just want money for drugs. They just want money for, and they do. But what if we looked at them like, you know what, they want to be reconciled. Would we change the way we approach them? We probably would. That doesn't mean that you give them the $20, by the way. That doesn't mean that. Have you ever went up to someone and said, listen, I have $20, but, it, but I got some food. I'll give you. I got some. Okay, thank you, but they don't want anything because I have. They didn't want because they didn't want the food. They wanted to. But it's an attempt to reconcile, to say, listen, let's get you out of this situation. Since God sees that everyone is a new creature when they're reconciled, we have to do the same. See, see we, we, don't, we don't see it that way, do we? Because they're not a new creature yet. But God saw you a new creature before you were a new creature. That's how he saw you. But it was up to you to become the new creature. He couldn't make you the new creature. You had to become the new creature. So do we look at people outside of the church, like, okay, they're a new creature. They're a new creature. And the NFL draft just went by, and a lot of guys are drafted. At the very end of the draft, there's one guy <laughs> that gets drafted every year that's Mr. Nobody. He's Mr. Irrelevant. <clears throat> but there have been Mr. Irrelevants that somebody said, you know what, I'm going to draft that guy because I see something in him nobody else sees, and they become a superstar in the NFL. Tom Brady. You all know who that is? Seven out of ten Super Bowls he won. Now, this is sports, and it's all. But listen, a guy that was drafted late in the 12th round that was just kind of drafted because, well, you know, he's a tall guy. That's why they drafted him. He was six foot five. So we'll draft him. He's tall. Maybe we can make a tight end out of him. He becomes the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. You see, we don't, do we see people that way? That's the greatest. Nobody saw Paul as the greatest Christian that would write, uh, you know, most of the New Testament. They didn't see. Matter of fact, for 13 years, they didn't even want Paul in their church. Don't come to our church. We know you are your snake. You, you're just tricking us, and then you're going to turn us over. They didn't have anything to do with him. But look what he became. You know, somebody had to have seen. Somebody had to. But if you look, Paul spent his time away from everybody with God. So we have to look at people through the eyes of God when we're looking at, at sinners and see them as already changed, already new creatures. God sees them 
once as deserving punishment, but now free in grace. Look at verse 17. Let's just, therefore, if any, if any, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things. Man, when you come into the kingdom of God, that old is gone, you're a new creature, and all things become new. If, let me ask a question. If God changed you, well, let me make a statement. This is a better. If God changed you, he can change anybody. Now, some of you are thinking, I've been in church all my life. <laughs> he still changed you. <clears throat> I'm not talking about y'all at all, but some of the biggest devils I've ever seen were people that have been in church all their life. They never knew God. They'd been in church all their life, but they never knew God. Some of the biggest devils I've ever seen, and you probably too, and we don't want to talk bad about people, but it's the truth. Because a lot of times people that kind of come up in church don't feel the necessity of the people like me that's, you know, so, so man, I, you know, man, I'm messed up. But what we have to understand is that if God can change you, he can change anybody. <clears throat> the word new here, where it says a new creature, actually means a, a new kind. The, the actual definition is in, in the Greek is a new kind. So, so. If, if any man be in Christ, he is a new kind of creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become a new kind. Paul references this same word in, in Romans 12 and 2 when he says that we're transformed. By, and he's talking to the church in Romans, the book of Romans written to the church. And he says to be transformed by the renewing of the mind means you get a new mind, a new mind, a new way of thinking. <clears throat> Just as we've been changed uh, there are others who can be changed. We have to believe that. I know people believe that nobody else is going to be saved. I've talked with people that say, you know what? Pretty much everybody that's going to be saved is saved, and the, the world's now on its way out. Man, it, that, that's a bad, because that's not what God called us to do. We must carry out the commission. Secondly, we must carry out the commission to reconciliation. So when God changes you, he commissions you to deliver this unchangeable message to people. So God has an untangible message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you're reconciled, you are now reconciled into the ministry of taking that word to other people. Well, that's what the preacher does. That's what the evangelist does. That's what the prophet does. That's, no, every Christian is commissioned after they're reconciled to deliver this unchanging gospel. Paul says in verse 20, we're ambassadors. You know, we, we Go through as though God were making his appeal through us. You know, that's what an ambassador does. You know, the president can't go to 25 different countries, he sends ambassadors and they make the appeal to that country for the president. And so, that's what we do as Christians we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. God's appeal doesn't come through a cloud in the sky, God doesn't put billboards on the side of the road and light them up with certain lights. God doesn't do any of that stuff. God speaks through us as ambassadors to people. That's why it's still important to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. You know, we have this great, it's not that we don't want to move up in our culture and use what we've got to spread the gospel, but the, still the best thing to do is the one-on-one, -on -one, the discussion you have with people. So we're, rep, we're the representatives of God in this world. He, he appeals to others through you and me. The gospel we know is the unchanging message, and we deliver this unchanging message to others. Our world is rapidly changing, though. It's rapidly changing. 
You know what the Great Awakening is in America? Have you ever read the Great Awakening or spiritually? Okay. During the Great Awakening in America, preachers preached in open air, you know, brush arbors. And preachers preached in, how many brush arbors do you think would work today? Brush arbors don't work today. It worked then. It was for that day. It was for that time and that season. In the 1950s, people would go to these large or go to Sunday school, and these large Sunday school programs won a lot of people. In the 1950s and early 60s, Sunday school won more people. <clears throat> people would drive around in buses and pick up kids for Sunday school. Y'all remember those days? And the kids would come. Well, lo and behold, the kids would find God, and they'd go home, and then the parents would go, what's going on here? So the parents would show up to church to figure out what's going on. Churches grew phenomenally over Sunday school. Sunday school's not even the Bible, but neither is the Internet. So we need to think about those things. We, we, circumstances change rapidly in our society. So, so methodologies have to change, right? I mean, in the 1980s, you'll probably remember this. It's when I first got into church. People would go to these massive auditoriums to see these very famous preachers. And, man, you could, you could go in an auditorium. Uh, you know, we used to go to basketball games in the Summit in Houston, Texas which is now a, a, a big church. It's a big mega church. But, you know, that thing would hold 10, 12, 15,000 people. And so then people started going, and they started doing that all over the country in the 80s. Uh, but let me ask you a question. What, we do have Sunday school, but is, is Sunday school as effective now as it was in this? Sunday school is not as effective. We have it. It's a good thing. It's not, it's not in the Bible, but it's a good thing. It teaches our kids, but it's not because times have changed. See, a lot of times we're, have you noticed this? We'll try to do things to increase our, you know, people coming and, you know, finding God by doing old things. By doing old things. Can you imagine? Any of you ever watch the Miss America pageant? I, I, I used to, but I, got, I had to get away from that. Yeah, it's goofy. You, those ladies don't do today what they did back in the 60s in Miss America pageant. If you did to today what they, how they dress and how they talk in the 60s, they'd laugh you off the stage. They dress different. They talk different. They had different ideologies. What I'm trying to say is that, you know, like the 1980s, now there's fewer and fewer people that are going to hear mega preachers. There's fewer. It's getting less and less because there's a rapid change in America. The, the millennial generation and, you know, I'm not going to call their names. I'm just, the new generation have, have an ideology that's totally different than ours. Doing this is not in their thinking as Christians. I'm not talking about the world. As Christians, doing what we're doing here tonight, not even in their thinking. I've got a niece and her husband that will tell you that right up front. No, we, we have people come meet in our house, and we talk about the Lord, but no, there's no need to go to church. Unless it's their ideology. Are they correct in what they're saying? No. But but it's it's the rapid change in America. So, uh, we've got to find the methods that reach people with an unchangeable gospel. So are there new methods today that you think we could, got any ideas? How, how today we could reach people that we couldn't reach people 20 years ago? Well, Internet, that's, you ought to get a lot of them from you because you're the youngest. <laughs> Zach, how, how could we reach people your age today? Oh, okay. All right.
So they use the worship to draw people. It's it's a work, yeah. What else today that we? It's it's hard for me because I, I'm 63, going on 64, and so my thinking hasn't changed like it should have. And as I was studying this, the Lord really spoke to me. Listen, don't don't change the gospel at all. That's not we don't do that. That's not. But you know what? You may want to change your approach to getting the gospel out. You know what? What else is big? Satellite church. You don't have to be a mega church to have satellite church. And what happens is one preacher preaches, and he's got like 10 satellites. I drove by one not just the other day out in the middle of Timbuktu. You know what? If you think Albert is small, if you think Albert Alvord, where I live, is in the middle of nothing, oh, no. I'm feeling like I'm in the metropolis in Alvord, Texas, population 1,005, when I went by in the middle of nowhere, and there's this church, and it's a, it's a satellite church of a mega church, and they got 10, 12, 15 of them. The younger people are drawn to that. So there's just thing. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, stoke our, our fire a little bit about, you know, we have to understand that we have an unchanging gospel, but we, in our changing times, we got to look at some things. We, we can't change the gospel to reach people, though. You know, that, that's the biggest problem in denominalism, changing the gospel just to get people to come in. Now, listen, we, we could tell everybody today, we could put a billboard out here and we could, we could have a mail out and say, listen, come to Tabernacle of Praise. We believe that all you've got to do is come to church and you're saved. This place would fill up because that's what people are looking for, the easy route. That's, what, that's, that's today's the easy route. I've got a, somebody kin to me who for the first time in his life, he's 29, 30, learned how to mow his yard. He didn't know how to mow a How do you not know how to mow a yard? His yard's not even half the size of this, by the way. It's, it's because there was never a need. And see, that, that's one of the problems. We, pe- people had, you know, if I went to him and said, hey, dude, buy that lawnmower, and I know somebody would come by and mow it for free. Don't you think he'd buy the lawnmower? Sure he would. And it's the same thing here. I could tell everybody, hey, just come and show up and you're saved. Oh, we'd fill the church up quick. The problem is, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Can't change the gospel. We've got to present the unchanging gospel. And then the last thing is be committed to the unchangeable gospel of reconciliation. Be committed to the fact that this unchanging gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. Uh, you, you ever had to be reconciled to someone because of something you did or they did or both of you did or you thought you did and you didn't, but you got in a fight? Okay. Yeah, we've all been through that in our life. So we don't understand what reconciliation really means. Put aside those things that, and, and coming back together in the unity. It's our commission. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of uncomfortable sometimes that we have to present the gospel simply because people don't know they need to be reconciled. You ever told someone about Jesus and they're like, I, I don't need that. Listen, the Lord, yeah, no, no I'm a good person. I, I don't kill, I don't steal, and I don't hate my neighbors. I'm a good person. I don't need that. I've had people tell me that. They don't understand. There's a reconciliation that needs to happen between them and God. Uh, so, you know, receive this, uh, this, 
commendation to rec- understand that you've been, there's a commendation that's been given to you in, in the ministry of reconciliation because we're the we're, we're speaking for God. We're not we're the ambassadors, and so we've there's an accommodation that's been given us. We have a badge, whatever you want to call it, not physical, whatever you want to call it, that says that we're to reach out in reconciliation. God is calling other people, but He's calling other people through us. Calling people through us. Uh, I'm going to ask you the last question. I'll probably be through quicker than y'all thought I would. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to take a risk for the gospel's sake? Are you willing to take a risk? Before you answer it, we're going to talk about what that really means. There was an article in a, a, a Naperville, Illinois paper, and it was about pickup softball games. And what it was was that it was seniors only. You had to be 65 or over to play it. They played twice a week in these pickup softball games. And so the deal wasn't that, you know, they got these guys. They had to test their skills against one another. I guess we do that till we die. We got to test ourselves against the other guy and see how good we are. But the risk wasn't that they were going to pull muscles or strain, sprain ankles. That wasn't the risk. The risk was heart attacks, heat stroke. I mean, they're a lot older, so they had a greater risk. And so, in this article, when I was reading it, they asked, they asked this one guy. They called him the old timer. So, why do you do this? And he said, "Well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die doing something I love." If I, because I'm going to die, but if I'm going to die, I want to do something I love, whether it's playing softball, fishing, hunting, or something else. I'm going to die doing something I love. But what if the church really got a hold of that? If we really love Jesus, now, are, now let me ask you the question, are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to take a risk? Because sometimes we feel like we need to slow down, don't we? Yeah, yeah. y'all don't lie to me. Sometimes we all feel like we need to take a break, don't we? Yeah. Sometimes it just. Sometimes we kind of t- cut a corner, take it easy. You know. That's why Paul wrote here in the last part of it. Here, as we finish, listen. There's nothing wrong with retiring. There's nothing wrong with that. We got retirees in our church, but but understand this: retiring is an American thing. And I know where some of you are going already, but I'm gonna. Retiring is an American thing, and it's kind of processed itself over the world because the Europeans, actually, retiring didn't start in America. We're just big on it. Retiring did not start here. The retirement issue and plan started in Europe, and it gravitated here, and we've just really modified it really good. It's just not a biblical thing. Wait a minute. The, the high priest, when he was 50, retired. No, he didn't retire. He didn't retire. When you read about it, the new high priest came in. The high priest that was there still got his double portion, and he still had responsibility. Read it. He was an overseer to the new high priest, so he didn't retire. So, so retirement's not really a biblical thing. It's just kind of thing we do. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with retiring, but we can't do that in God. We just can't do that in God because it's, it's not so... Let's just really quick look at what, what Paul talked about. So here, here is what Paul did taking a risk for the gospel. Look at verse 3 of chapter 6 again. Giving no offense into anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, necessities, 
distresses, stripes, imprisonment, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings, pureness, knowledge, long-suffering, kindness, the Holy Ghost. And you keep reading, and what you find is he said, listen, basically Paul said, yeah, man, I took a risk. Risk was well worth because the risk and reward here, the risk is nominal compared to the reward. But he said, but this is the risks, these are the risks you'll take. These are the things that will happen if you're going to take a risk for the gospel. Don't expect to take a risk for the gospel and it be roses and rejection big time. Yeah. My parents didn't talk to me for two years after I got in the church. They wouldn't talk to me at all. You're in that devil cult. They speak in tongues. They baptize in Jesus' name. They, they believe in living holy. They, you know, let's see. So far, this is pretty good. Because I'm thinking that. Wait a minute. But, yeah, that, that, I mean, you're right. Rejection will be a big, and Paul was rejected. 13 years worth of rejection. And then, then he really started getting rejected. The church rejecting finally took him in. When they did, boy, everybody else started it. So, uh, Paul risked himself for the gospel. People will still come to reconciliation with God when they see God's people live out the life of reconciliation. Here's the easy way to say that. Jesse and I are in the church, and somebody outside the church knows both Jesse and I, been around us, we, they, you know, maybe work with us and all this stuff. And so they see Jesse and I, and we get into a spat. And before you know it, one of us leaves the church. And before you know it, the other one says, I'm suing you. And before you, the other one says, listen, I'm coming over the house to kill you. I'm going to kick your, your kids. I'm going to do, there's no reconciliation. And the outside person is the loser. What happens is that's, that's their idea of what reconciliation is not. And if that's in the church, I don't want to be in that. And that happens more than we would like to admit. Uh, people see, you know, uh, we could go through, well, I won't do that for time. So, so here's the bottom line. Do we understand the times? Like the men of Issachar, like Esther, do we understand that we're at a time? God put us here in this time, not 100 years ago, not 1,000 years ago. He put us here for this time for a reason, because we are to be the ambassadors of reconciliation to this generation. And if we're not, then this generation will not be reconciled, will not be reconciled. And so that, that's what we do. That's, that's our purpose. It's just to work on that reconciliation ministry. Because when you do, you understand there's a connection to God. First between them and, and between you and it, and then between the greatest connection you can ever have in this world is a connection with somebody else that has the connection with God you have. Not because it's your connection. He has his connection. I have mine. They're different, right? Our connections are different, right? But because we have, both have it, now we have, <coughs> pardon me, a connection with God. Greatest thing that can happen. And so we just understand that God positioned us here. Uh, he positioned us so that change would come about in other people's lives. So just be willing to serve an unchanging God by delivering an unchanging gospel. It's really that simple. God doesn't change. So if we look at God and we see where, where he doesn't change and we maintain that, and then we don't change that gospel, rapidly changing world. If Jesus doesn't come in the next year or 20 years, if Jesus doesn't come in the next 20 years, what's this world going to be like? Now, I'm not talking about the evil that's here. 
No, let's don't let's don't say let's don't because the first thing that comes to our mind is, man, man, what's it going to? Yeah, we think of the evil that's going on. I'm just talking about the change. What is this world going to be like? Flying cars, computer chips that are in your forehead that all you got to blink your eyes and you, you know, no, that's crazy. The computer chips that put in your right here, so that when you're out on the battlefield, we know exactly where you're at. Number one, you can't go a wall. Number two, you can't go to the other side. We know exactly where you're at. Number three, if you're dead, we know where to come get you. That already exists. What's this world going to be like for us? And so in this changing world, we just have to look to the adaptation that the world's going through and take this unchanging gospel. But take some of the, you know what, if, they, if there's some new invention that, that would allow us to preach the gospel over an airwave that would go all the way around the world at one time, we got to jump on it. we got to jump on it. Pastor Don, what doesn't want a new jet so he can fly all, all over and get the gospel? Yeah, craziest thing I ever heard. Have two jets. I need, another, I need another $50 million jet so I can spread the gospel. Hey, you ever heard of the Internet, dude? Because I can tell you, you can get the gospel quicker through the Internet than you can flying a $50 million jet all over the world. We got that going on. But we got to change. We got to change some of the, our approach. Anybody have any? It's simple. But listen, God, God's leading us here. There, there's a progression God's leading us through here. And if we follow this progression, I mean, it's fantastic things. Fantastic things. God's kingdom. Anybody have? Verse 2. Yeah. Maybe it's 1 and 2, but... Right. Nuin. Yeah. Say that again. Right. Say. He, didn't, he didn't say in Romans 12 and 2. And of course, 12 and 1 says, I, present, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed yep. by a renewed mind? Nope. No. By the renewing. renewing. So what does that mean? Yeah. That means continue. Continual, constant. It's, it's like, well, I grew to be two feet, but I kept growing right. until I reached 5'8 or something like that. Then it kind of stopped. But <laughs> the renewing, yeah. it don't stop. Yeah. Am I the same, which is a good question that I, I would bring. Am I the same spiritually as I was five years ago? Let's hope not. Yeah. If I am, there's no, there's been no renewing of the mind. And that's the difficult thing to change is yeah. the mind. Yeah. Because I get stuck in the 50s and the 60s. And let me ask a question, y'all, since we're, and then I'll be done. <laughs> do how we do church here today, is it the same as we did it 20 years ago? No. You're sure? 20 years ago, 40 years ago when I came into church, when we came to church, we had prayer before church, then we had worship, and we sang three, maybe four songs, then the pastor got up and preached, then there was an altar call, then we left. Okay, so what's different between then and now? Huh? I'm not saying what we're doing is wrong. I'm asking a question. Is it the same? It could be that it's the same because it's necessary to be this way. It works this way. There's nothing wrong when something works doing it. But do, have we ever looked at it and said, do we possibly need to change it? 
What if Pastor Don came in when everybody came and just started preaching? Some of you'd leave. Some of you'd be wondering what in the world's going on, but he's blown his mind, something happened. And some of you say, hey, man, yeah, that's pretty cool. We all have a different, because it's a change in what we do. What if we had an altar call first and then preaching? Right. What? Well, here's, yeah, there's a problem with that. <laughs> so, yeah, because <laughs> the altar call is the response to the word and, and the worship. That's, that's what, what God is, you, you know, that interaction. So, but. Yeah. Pray for her mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm the one that benefited the most out of it. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the evolution in the church is bad. The evolution in the church is bad. <clears throat> Truth is axiomatic. It works in every culture, in every generation, in every time. The problem I see in America is we are disconnected as people. We don't communicate very much face-to-face. -face. We don't interact much together outside of church. And because of that, you know, I've lived in the home I've, I've lived in 22 years. I have a relationship with one neighbor. Now, I've had three neighbors that has lived in that house but every neighbor that's lived in that house, I've got, I had a relationship with. I don't know anybody around me. You know, I've reached out, whatever. The people just aren't connected the way, you know, the way they used to be. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid. You'd sit out in the backyard in the summer, and neighbors would come over. You'd sit out. You'd chat. You'd talk, you know, tell tell tall tales and you know whatever but there's just a disconnect in this generation uh, you know the average time spent on this dude I mean it, 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 it's he said I mean I preached 45 years ago that I perceived the evolution of people in this generation would have the brains the side of BBs and the eyes the side of dinner plates because we've become a visual, not, we're not thinking anymore. We don't, we don't think things through. Uh, you know, er everything has to be solved in a 30-minute drama. Uh, there's no process anymore. I mean, we have, the vocabulary's changed. You know, I grew up in a two-sex society. And now, you know, it, it, it's, uh, we are living at no time in history of the Scripture. Now, some of the sins were the same, but in no time in history has ever been like it is today. 
and it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of coming of the Son of Man. You know, and, and, and that was seven generations from Adam, God repented that he made man. He repented. And so he said in Exodus, you know, the sin of the father will be visited to the third and fourth generation, but showing mercy unto thousands of them who fear him. He was talking about generations in verse 4. He's talking about the generation in verse 5. Sin can only travel four generations, but God's mercy can travel to thousands of generations. And you can prove that biblically by the sure mercies of David. You know, where, where descendants of David were given spaces. You know, God told David, I won't cut your generation off like I did Saul. If your kids stray, I'll beat them with a rod of iron, but I'll not, not ever reject them the way I did the house of Saul. So, you know, we, can, we have that, that ability, but truth is axiomatic. And, and I think it's the thing of, of engaging, of, you know, of, of just engaging. I know God still speaks to me, and, and I still hear from him. I still receive messages. And the messages I receive are not unlike or that far different than what I received when I started the ministry 50 years ago. Because truth is axiomatic. But, you know, we live in a generation where we speak the same language but we are the same vocabulary, but we don't use the same dictionary. Words don't mean what they used to mean. And, you know, I found in Atlanta that new converts, you would preach things to them, you know, and if they weren't standing on their chair, it would run over their head because they didn't understand the concepts. So we had to start a class on character, just basic every character. What does honesty, what does integrity, uh, what does loyalty, what does faithfulness mean? And, you know, uh, it's frustrating to me because I don't understand this generation. I have, you know, uh, I've asked God, why am I still here? Well, really. you're here for some reason. So, yeah, because, uh, you know, it says, you know, that Abraham went and slept with his fathers. He served his generation, went and slept with his fathers. You know, I don't, I don't understand the lack of, of commitment Mm-hmm. of this generation you know they're, they're just you know if everybody that has been through this church in the 22 three years I've been here were still here you know this property wouldn't have a big enough building to hold them right. but to the person they found some reason to get upset and angry mm-hmm. and excuse to leave yeah there's, there's, there's no heart for reconciliation, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, people, I don't know, I just, I, I just, I mean, I'm at a loss. My uh, wife has been upset and angry with me, but she, she had a commitment, and there was a reconciliation of heart, and that, that's why I'm here today. Right. That's exactly why I'm here today. So, yeah, I'm with you. What happened to all, what happened in our generation here, you don't see that. 
you know, in today's generation, you know, it's it's easy. I in today's generation, if you you've been married two or three or four years or forty years, whatever, if you decide you don't like one another, you just run down to the courthouse and sign a few pieces of paper. It's done. It wasn't that way when we were younger. It was hard to do that. It was hard. And there was a reason it was hard. Because people were communicating. It wasn't hard because they made it hard. People were communicating. And that made it hard to say, if you love someone, I'm going to leave. That made it hard. And it did happen. It happened in people's lives. But it was very hard because there was communication. No communication today. Have you tried to talk to any? No no offense. You're, You're We'll put you in a parenthesis. Have you ever tried a communication with people of this generation? Have you ever tried to have a conversation? Yeah. It does not. I'm with you, Bishop. It doesn't work because they have no, not that we're smarter or they're smarter or we're dumber or they're dumber. There is a total disconnect in communicating with people. When, when, when the Kardashian family captivates a nation, <laughs> when they are a bunch of empty suits, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. you couldn't get an IQ of 30 in the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're highballing there, but yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it works for great, yeah. I've interviewed people for jobs, and I'm thinking, is this how you're going to react to my customers? Because if it is, you're not hired. Because they had no way of just communicating basic. Right. Basic. And this is not, we're not, not I can feel the daggers here. So, <laughs> but something has happened. I'm just joking. Y'all, he's a great guy. Something has happened where we have so much more knowledge, so much more information, but we have no communication. But it's even in my generation, some of the problems in the young generation or in my generation. I was in the store yesterday trying to put together, I was trying to fix a, a sprinkler head. Mm-hmm. And the pipe they put in was a three-quarter inch, and and I needed it to go from three-quarter to a half inch and then the riser. And so I went in this place, and here's a guy in his 60s, you know, and I asked him, he don't even know what he's got in on on yeah. the aisle, you know. And I told him, I said, you know, if you work for me, I'd fire you. You're <laughs> worthless. I told him, I said, you're worthless. <laughs> I mean, not even to have enough common sense. If you're working in a plumbing department, you ought to know how to put things together. Yeah. I mean, it, it has to come up. So this but, is not really generational, is it? No, it's not generational. It's, it's not generational. It's not it generational. is just the day we live in. It is. It doesn't matter what your age is. I mean, let you, you off the find, hook, brother. You can find seventy-year-olds that aren't worth killing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're. I'm not seventy. They yet. have the IQ and the mentality of a bucket of rocks. I mean, it, it's sad. It really, mm-hmm. really is sad. So these, you know, we were talking earlier, and I, we, we need to talk earlier about maybe methodology, but maybe it's not so much methodology. Maybe we just need to go back to communication. Could it be that simple? Just go back. But, but you know what, going back to communication, have you ever tried that with somebody that doesn't want to communicate with you? It usually doesn't work. So we've got, we've got our hands full here. 
But, that, but we still have to understand God wants to reconcile, and so we've got to have the same mindset. God wants to reconcile. We want them to be reconciled. But the third part of that is they have to want to be reconciled. Show us. And I, I did because I've been here 21 years and I, I tell my husband, what is wrong with people's brain or heart? The hearts are not working and the brains are yeah. not working or something. And I, I asked the Lord. I prayed and I cried and I cried and I cried for many years. And after seven years, I got the answers and I kept having the answers. What is, mm-hmm. has been happening, has been happening. And I guess now I go around trying to tell people. But they don't have time to hear it. Mm-hmm. Or they don't want to hear it. Not maybe. This they, they yeah, they just don't want to hear it. The, uh, the people I want to tell is the people the Lord want me to tell, the, 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 the shepherd, because yeah. they are the ones that can make the difference, that can, you know, help. Yeah. Because some, whatever has been happening is now happening in a big scale, on a big scale. Right. It's like no more hiding. Yeah. There was something that was going on that really messed up America. They were bringing America down. That, that's because this America is standing for Christ. That's yeah. the nation under Christ. The only nation that where everybody runs to just because mm. of the nation that Christ is. Yeah. This country is the country Jesus himself. We can't let that happen in the church. Yes, that's We true. cannot let that happen Even in, in the, the church. Even in the nation, we can claim America. Yeah. Yeah. I am, I'm saying this because I, I, I belong to Jesus since I was long. I, was, I belong to him. So I feel authority. That authority of belonging to him, just that. Mm-hmm. And I believe if the body of Christ together, the spirit of reconciliation it has to go beyond. Uh, it, we find other churches, even if they are Catholic. Anyone who believes Jesus is Lord and get together, study scriptures, pray together, figure out what is going on. The reconciliation can bring solution. Yeah. Reconciliation and praying together. They, I, that's what Jesus actually can. If they come together, they unite mm-hmm. and come together in prayer. That's it. And get, uh, forget about their differences. I will answer them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can claim this land. Do we concentrate more on differences than we do on? <laughs> thank you. Let's be honest, we do. Yeah, thank you. Sir. So, thank you. I was 10 years old when John F. Kennedy did his inauguration. And one thing that down through history has been repeated was that he said was ask not yeah. what your country can do for you but what can you do for your country that's all turned around the other way now yeah and i think some of it is in the churches it's like well what does your church have to offer mm-hmm. you know do y'all what kind of programs do y'all have for kids what kind of programs do you have for the old people what kind of problem do you have what kind of program do you have for the for the couples that are having trouble what kind of programs do we have for the singles? And if you don't have those programs, you don't have it. According to them, you don't have anything to offer. Right. But like she says, we we offer you Jesus. Yeah. We offer prayer. You said a key word in there. It's big in America. Programs. Programs. We have, think there ought to be a program for everything, and it's the worst thing that's ever come to us. The number one industry in America is entertainment. It started in the movies. It moved to music. 
and now it's in the church. Yep. The church is the number one entertainment institution in America. Yeah. If you don't believe it, go home tonight. Go home tonight and turn it, and you'll see it. The entertainment, you're right. Yeah. And that we can't. That's not the answer. So, prayer still changes things. Yes, yeah. you said it. You said it. Prayer, uh, fasting, and prayer and fasting will always bring unity. Will always bring unity. Then, then the reconciliation happens. Yes, absolutely. Thank y'all. I'm sorry I went over. I'm gonna blame y'all because y'all were talking. <laughs> Yeah, no, actually, 16. I always tell everybody, I'll get you out here at 745, and every week I lie. So I'm going to ask God to forgive me. God bless you. Thank you for coming. It's good to see you. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.